way. Um, if you've ever been in a position where um, you've said something or done something and you've put your foot in your mouth, have you ever been in that situation? It's foreign to me too. Uh, but, but if you've ever been there and you've said something or done something that has totally embarrassed you, uh, then you'll appreciate the story that I heard about a, a young pilot during uh, World War II. He was an American pilot that landed his uh, jet on an uh, aircraft carrier. And he landed on the aircraft carrier and he was all excited about his day's activity. So he jumped out and he was taking his life vest off and he ran up onto the deck. And he said, Skipper, I had a great day. He goes, Skipper, I sank one battleship. I've shot down three other Japanese fighters. And in fact, if I, and I think I even hit a sub that was, that was on top of the surface looking around. He said, I had a wonderful day. And as he pulled his life vest over his head, he heard this. Uh, very good, Yank, but you make one very bad mistake. And uh, so if, if you've been there, um, you can relate to that. The Bible has all kind of encouragement for us as far as the area of uh, listening. And uh, when we did a marriage series a few years ago, I was impressed by the fact that one of the greatest hindrances to a good relationship is just good communication skills. And uh, one of those skills actually has to do with listening. And uh, Norm Wright wrote in a book, he said that, uh, let's face it, most of us would rather talk than listen. We consider listening to be a temporary and unpleasant interlude between opportunities to say what we want to say. Instead of giving attention to what others are saying, we are often thinking about what we're going to say next, either to amaze or amuse our friends or to confound and convince our opponents. The results may be conversation, but it's certainly not communication. And, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about listening. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. You know, it's very, I mean, if you want to just make it personal, just think every time you look in a mirror that God gave you two ears and one mouth. And if we would use it in the same proportion as which he's given it to us, we would probably be in a lot less trouble than we find ourselves in. In fact, uh, Proverbs 18.13 says this, He who answers a matter before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So as we go through this, our topic for this morning, um, what we're going to take a look at is testing the spirit. And in 1 John chapter 4, we find a passage that deals with, and the reason I want to introduce it from the standpoint of listening is that it's very critical to understand where someone's coming from, so to speak, and the only way it can happen is by listening. We've got to be more attentive to listen to what people are saying so that we can hear what it is they're trying to communicate. Not many of us are good at listening, and so as a result, it becomes a very real problem in our lives. Um, not too long ago, I had a, uh, a man, a young man, and younger than me, uh, which is hard to believe for some of you, but I had a guy come into our office who was being interviewed for a job, and uh, during the course of the interview, uh, it came around somehow or another, came around to him saying that he was a religious guy. And I always like when I hear stuff like that because I'm not sure what exactly that means. And without prying too much, since you brought it up, do you mind if I ask, what do you mean by being a religious guy? He goes, well, I mean, basically, um, he goes, I'm, I'm a Mormon. I said, oh, that's fascinating. What, what attracted you to Mormonism? And this is what he said. He said, it's obvious by his writings that God spoke to Joseph Smith. So I was fascinated. he was fascinated by the writings of Joseph Smith. 
And it was obvious by his writings that God spoke to him, and that's what drew him or attracted him to consider Mormonism. And uh, I thought it was interesting because I pursued it a little further and said, well, what if there's a conflict between what God had told Joseph Smith and what God says in the Bible? What if the two are not compatible and there's a conflict? Then what do you do? What's the tiebreaker? And this is what he said. He said this, The last revelation from God always takes precedent. All right? I said, that. You know what? That sounds like a good rule of thumb. So then let me ask you this. And it happened to be in the newspaper that particular day, and I cut it out and had a copy of it, and I read this to him. I said, man, that's fascinating. Well, how would you respond to this? This is in San Francisco. It says that San Francisco gays ordained in defiance of Lutheran Church. The article goes on. It says, a lesbian couple and a gay man who refused to renounce sexual relations were ordained Saturday by two Lutheran congregations defying church policy at the risk of expulsion. Quote, Our congregation felt this was a social justice issue that gays are part of the rainbow coalition of God's creation. His congregation, that was a particular pastor, his congregation in a working class San Francisco neighborhood voted last month to hire him as one of the new ministers. Johnson has refused to take a vow of celibacy. It says, uh, we see this as what God is asking us to do. And on that particular day, I forget what day it was, I said, well, it's apparent to me that this was God's latest revelation. I said, what do you think of that? And this is the most amazing thing to me. He said, you know what? That's not right. I said, well, why not? Because the Bible says that that's wrong. I said, well, that's pretty fascinating. So what you're saying is that maybe it's not the latest revelation that should hold any water, but maybe there's another standard that actually should hold more water. And this poor guy was real sorry he came in to be interviewed <laughs> for a job. I mean, his head was like going, you know. But, I mean, it's a, isn't it? I mean that's a fair question to ask. It's a simple question. And, uh, pardon me? <laughs> Not in an interview. Oh, excuse me. You must be one of those personnel types. <laughs> Any affiliation to the ACLU, maybe? I hope not. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, geez, man, you know what? You got, don't, don't make it worse by going, oh. Because you know what you do? You put people on the defensive. They've got to respond to that. So don't do that anymore. <laughs> Gee. Chuckle internally and go, that was a good one. Um, but, I mean, what would you say? I mean, and that's true, not in an interview, but he opened the door. Uh, but what, what would you say? I mean, is, I mean, that's fair. That's a fair question, one that he needs to address. Is it the latest revelation or not? What do you go by? What's the standard? Does it change every day or what? And so, well, okay, here's a better one for you. Let me ask you, what would you say to this gal? This is a letter that was written to Dr. James Dobson from a woman who's 23 years old. And it, to me, illustrates exactly everything that we're going to talk about in this session because it illustrates the danger and the confusion that goes along with not really understanding what standard you use to live on. And it says this, she says this, I'm a 23-year-old and I'm female. And I'm often told by my family and friends that, quote, if you don't hurry up and find a husband, you're going to be an old maid. Or, quote, if you stay so Christian and holy, you'll never get married. Okay, now you can sense a little bit of pressure building on this particular woman. It says, I met a man three years ago and God spoke to me and told me he would soon be my husband. I don't really understand this completely because when I saw him last, he was a worldly man. Now, this gal is not even seeing this guy. Right? I mean, they're not even dating on a regular basis, and this is what God told her. So about a year ago, God spoke to me again about the same man. 
And this time I had to go and tell him about what God's plan was for our lives. He laughed at me and thought I was crazy. I'm shocked. She said, I couldn't stand this and I was totally confused. I thought God would change him right then and there. Well, I see him in visions with God showing me he's being changed into a man of God. In fact, he's even going to be a pastor. I often see him standing right next to Christ. Then that night, I, the night that I told him and he wouldn't accept it, an angel came into my room to comfort me. I know one day, some way, somehow, God will make this man my husband, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm writing to let you know that God will show a Christian who their mate is. He has done this for me. Now, I, you know what? This is too serious to make fun of what she wrote. This is a very serious matter. And there are many people in our society today who are hearing voices from God that are telling them to do all kinds of things. Not too long ago, I had a conversation with a man who told me, a Christian man, who told me that God told him to leave his wife and his two kids and to run off with his girlfriend. What would you say to this guy? I know what I said to him. God didn't tell you. Your zipper told you. <laughs> what? It's the truth. true you know just getting the signals mixed up a little bit you know but what do you say i mean what, i mean oh great that's great or you know and i and i hear and i hear this kind of stuff all the time and i hear how people pray about stuff and god tells them to do stuff and it's like oh the gal you remember a couple years ago the gal who worked for hud prayed about it and god told her to steal money to give it to the poor oh a very noble thing but did god tell her to do that <coughs> I mean, who's, talk, who's talking to all these people? And basically, the bottom line is this. You know, we, we live in a society, God told me to, and then you fill in the blank and you put anything you want in it because God wants me to be happy. See, that's how God speaks to us in our generation. He tells us what we want to hear so that we can be happy. But the problem with all this, how do you know if it's really God who's talking to you? And how can you, in confidence, address someone like the man who was in my office or like the friend of mine who was leaving his wife, how can I in confidence be able to say, that wasn't God talking to you because this is what God has to say. See, we need to understand that because we run into it on a regular basis, not only in dealing with other people, but also in dealing with ourselves and our decisions and our direction and the things that we do in life. We could become just as confused as the person to whom we speak. This is a very serious matter and I couldn't wait to get to this particular section because it's so relevant and practical that I think that it's, there's something in it for all of us and you can't just sit there and go, well, I, I've never done that and I've never heard anyone say that. No, we hear it all the time. God told me to drown my baby. God told me to shoot John Lennon. God told me to do... Well, God, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we sure got to confuse God because one hand he says not to do it, the other hand he says to do it. Who is, he, who is this God? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so as we go through this, what we're going to see is that we can be guaranteed that what we believe is actually from God based on what John is going to give us as far as some principles to apply in 1 John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, share with somebody who's next to you. And, uh, and it's real important that you see that this is what the Bible says, and I'm just not saying this and making this stuff up. So just look at it. If you've got someone that you can share with, do it. Because in 1 John chapter 4, 
he addresses this whole issue of, hey, how do you handle all this? Because we've got a lot of confusion going on. First John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are really from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us He who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And he's going to lay out four principles to understand whether something is really from God. I mean, that's the whole whole topic or the central issue of this particular text. The first principle is this. We test the spirits. He tells us to test the spirit. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit. He tells us to test the spirit, and one of the ways that we do that is by refusing to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. Do you follow this? We refuse to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. Now, let's get something straight right off the bat, because the first thing that you see is, oh, refuse to accept human authority. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, we know from Romans 13 that all authority has been established by God. There is no authority on the face of the earth that God hasn't established for His purposes and uses for His purposes and His plan. Authority is established by God. Therefore, God also promises blessings for those who submit themselves to authority according to the structure that's set up in the Bible. So this isn't saying, you know, blow off all authority or question authority to the degree that, hey, I'm not listening to anyone anymore. But what we're trying to get across is very simple. And that is that when you, when you go to determine if something is true spiritually, if something is a fact or something is fiction, if something is from God or something is from the, the pizza that you ate the other night, I mean, I don't know, or, or in, this, in this particular woman's case, or from the pressure of people around her saying, you better hurry up and get married. And before you know it, she's thinking, man, I better get married. And she starts hearing all kinds of things. And so they, there's an undue pressure that's placed upon... And, and by the way... If you know any single people, don't ever do that to them. Amen. Thank you. Single. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Shout it, brother. Okay. Don't ever do that to anyone. I mean, you, you realize how, how, how wrong that is before God? Hey, th- there are singles that should be single, and there are singles that God has another plan for, and there are singles that God has someone in store for. And stop putting pressure on people because they reach a chronological age. Because they start hearing all kinds of things and angels will start coming to comfort them in their bedroom. <laughs> so anyway, I, I you know, off the track there for a second. But I just, you know, it just it's ridiculous sometimes. But anyway, um, so as we go through this, we look at this and we begin to realize that, first of all, what he's saying is that we have a responsibility. He's saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit. One of the things that's fascinating to me is, guess who he's talking to? He's talking to Christians. 
he is speaking specifically to people that have aligned themselves in the understanding that Jesus Christ is God, believe in him or upon him, as the Bible says, and become a child of God. So all of a sudden, he's talking to people that, that align themselves with calling themselves Christians. He's telling us, if you're a Christian, hey, listen, Christians, don't believe everything you hear. There is just a little quirk of human nature that, for some reason or another, we are, we are a little more gullible than we should be. If somebody tells us something, we believe them at point, at, at point you know, oh, for that point, oh, yeah, oh, that's what they said. And somebody comes to you and they say something. You believe them right away. Somebody comes to you and they say exactly the opposite. You believe them too. I mean, you're not even sharp enough to figure that there are two people telling you two different things. They oppose one another, but you still believe them both. Now, there's a gullibility that God says, hey, listen, don't believe everything that you hear. Now, the older that you get, what happens is you become so cynical, you don't believe anything that you hear. I mean, nothing, you know. Everybody talks to you. You know, I, I talk to a lot of much more mature people than I am who basically everybody's a stinking liar, <laughs> you know. Don't believe anybody. I've been in this business 40 years. I don't believe anybody anymore. Oh, okay, well, I guess that, that's what could happen to you, but, you know, you don't want to get cynical either. But we need to test whether something is true or something is false. Okay, so he's telling Christians, guess what? We have the capacity to fall for things that are not right. Okay? So, this is particularly interesting to me to people who have recently become Christians. New Christians believe anything. Why? Because some, yo, some yo-yo says, this is from the Bible. And then they go off on some goofy thing, and a new Christian goes, oh man, that's good stuff. Well, how do you know it's good stuff? Well, they, they quoted a verse. Oh, gee whiz, that's really good. You know, and they quote one verse, they take it out of context, and then they go off on this whole big tangent about something, and you go, oh, that was good. That wasn't good. That was wrong. But how do we know it? Because we have to test the Spirit. So there's a responsibility. And the reason we should do it, if you got your Bibles, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. <coughs> one of the things that always fascinated me when I first became a Christian was to go to Bible studies... And to hear in a Bible study group. In fact, I had somebody that asked me one time, said, well, you know, how'd you end up, te- I mean, how'd you get into teaching the Bible? I said, well, you know what, here's basically how it happened. So I went to one of my first Bible studies after I became a Christian. And we're sitting around a room, and a guy was leading the study. And he said, what do you think this verse means? Now, I was scared to death because I never read the Bible. I didn't have a clue my fears slowly began to erode and a confidence took over. Do you know why? Because no one was ever wrong. He'd look and say, what do you think this means? And the guy would go, well, this is what I think it means. I think it means the sky is blue. Ma'am, what do you think it means? Well, I think it means the sky is azure. Oh, what do you think it means? I don't think it has anything to do with the sky. I think it has something to do with the water. Oh, that's good too. That's good, that's good, that's good. I could come up with anything. I was, it was great. I was like, I think it has to do with the, the rainforest. That's what I think it has to do with. That's good too. You know, no one was ever wrong. There was no truth. Everything was relative. This is what you think it is? It's not like artwork. What do you think this is? I think it's, you know, you know and here's the problem. Even artwork, if you ask the one who paints it, knows what it is, right? Now, you can look at something and go, I think that's a tree. I think 
It's whatever you think it is. I think it's a boat. I had a gal one time at a restaurant. We were going through this, and, and uh, she was into something that was unbelievable. But anyway, everything was relative, and nothing was right or wrong. Everything was whatever you assumed that it was. And I said, that's just great. I said, so here's this painting. What do you think this is? I think it's you know a tree. And, the, I said, and you think it's a boat, and I think it's a car, and you think it's a Lamborghini, and we all think it's whatever it is, and that's why it's what it is, because that's what we all think. So the person who painted the picture happened to be there, and I said, what is this? He says, it's a cottage in Vermont. <laughs> is that what it is? Are you sure that's what it is? And I'm asking the person who's painted it, are you really sure, what, is that what you see there? That's what I painted. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's a cottage in Vermont. Now, how right were all the rest of the interpretations of that? They were dead wrong. And you know what? We do the same thing with God. Well, this is what I think he's saying. This is what I think he means. This is what I think he's saying. This is what I think he means. And it's like, well, let's just ask him what he's saying. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's why you don't believe everything they hear. Verse 1. But the Spirit of God explicitly says that in latter times or later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Listen, this is why you and I aren't to believe everything that we hear. Because there are people in this world who are liars. Ah, is that shocking? Oh, you know a few. It doesn't shock me at all. There are people in this world who are liars. There are people in this world who deceive and manipulate people for their own selfish reasons. That is a fact of life that doesn't go without God's notice. There are people that don't tell the truth. And so as he goes through this, he says, man, he wants, he says, you know what? You need to learn to be discerning as to who's telling you the truth and who's telling you a lie. Now, the question is, what's the truth and what's the lie? And he says it right here very clearly in verse 5. He said, you know what? The way that we decide or determine what is true is that it is separate. The word of God is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them God's people in truth says, thy word is truth. The word of God is true. God is not a liar. Therefore, he can't say to one person, hey, you know what? I think that uh, this is right. Tell you the exact opposite. God can't do that. God's not confused. God can't lie. If God says this is wrong, then it's wrong for all of us, not just for some of us. It's wrong. Because God can't lie. Well, how do we know that? Because the Word of God, the Bible, tells us that this is true of the nature of God. How do you know the truth? You have to know the Word of God. It says you know the Word of God, and also you discern what is true through prayer. God, what are you trying to tell me here, and what does the Bible have to say about it? Do you see how that can eliminate all of this confusion that we have? The key to the, to the key to the whole scenario with this gal's letter was she was totally confused by what was going on around her. 
our God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of truth, a God of clarity, a God of purpose, a God of plan. He's given us the word of God so that we can know who he is and what his plan is for our life. And therefore, we can tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. But we have to know the word of God. That has to do with the, our responsibility. There's another thing that he says, and that is he says that we should test the spirit. Beloved or dear friends, hey, Christians, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe everything that you hear. But what? But test the spirits. Test them. There's an evaluation that must take place. We have a responsibility to evaluate things that are said. Everything. Not just some things. Not when you feel like it. Not when it's convenient to you. But you have a responsibility and I to evaluate everything that's said to us to determine whether that is true or whether that is false according to what God has to say. And so as we go through this, he says, test the spirits. And it's just not an occasional thing. Let me ask you a question. Now, this is where it gets very personal. But where in the world are you confronted by the things that may be true or the things that may be false everywhere everywhere that you turn let me ask you this every day we're bombarded with messages all around us and i want to ask you a personal question how often when you drive by a billboard or you see a bumper sticker or an advertisement in the radio or on tv or in a magazine how often when you see this do you say you know what that's not right that's wrong that's wrong. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's wrong. It's wrong. And when you see it, do you say that? That's wrong. That is biblically incorrect. That is not God's standard. That is, uh, that is false. That is not true. We are inundated with those messages all around us. How often do you catch yourself saying, that's funny, but it's wrong? I'll give you an example. I love... And, and, I, and I make myself vulnerable, and I don't know why I do, but I just do. Because maybe you can relate to it. I love Cheers. The show Cheers. I know some of us is going to just shock you and amaze you and amuse your friends, but, but frankly, I don't really care. But, but here's why I bring it up. Because I think, it's, I think it's hilarious. But then when you stop to think about what the message is of every show it loses a little bit of what's funny. So you try not to think about those things while you watch it. <laughs> and that is, what does it promote? Here's a guy who's a bartender who every week they talk about his sexual exploits, right? Who's, who's he with now and how many this time and who's he going to go to and this and all this. I mean, and that's what the focus of his character is, his sexual exploits. Then they've got another person on the show who hates his wife as much as he hates his job and would rather hang out in the bar with a bunch of guys than being the father and the husband, or in this case, just the husband, that, that he should be. And so then you got another woman who's on her third marriage who hates her kids as much as she hates work. And on and on it goes. And you got another gal who's going to marry someone just because he has a lot of money and who cares about all the rest of it. Those are the characters on the show. I think the show is hilarious. I'm a spiritual idiot. <laughs> I mean, really. I, I mean, you stop and think about what I'm saying here. I mean, it is so... It's con the messages are... Those are all wrong messages. It opposes everything that God says is right. 
and yet it's been on TV for the last 12 years and is nominated for another 13 Emmys. So what's the point? The point is that we are bombed all around us with messages that are subtle, that are convincing, and that are totally wrong. What do I tell my kids when I turn on a television set and there is an episode of Anything But Love which with another guy who's a real funny guy, and the, the first scene the other night was they're laying in bed together, him and his girlfriend, wondering if they're going to get to do it again. And you see this and you go, what kind of message is that? Well, the message is very simple, that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. It's, not even that, it's no big deal. In fact, it's funny. That's the message. But see, I'm kind of dull sometimes to some of these things, but if my kids... And I go, huh, what did they learn from this? What did they just see? They saw the same thing that I just saw, and the subtle message and the truth of it is it's okay. See, when, do, when are we going to get to the point, or when do we get to the point of saying, that's not right, and use that as an opportunity to teach that which is correct? See what I'm saying? What do you say when the headlines read, Hey, condoms are distributed to universities and high school campuses um, so that kids will have safe sex. Is it smart? Or is it wrong? Well, here's some needles, too. You might as well have some needles while we're at it and make sure they're clean, too, because intravenous use is is probably the greatest uh, contributing factor to the uh, spread of the epidemic of AIDS. So here's clean needles. I mean, this is what we want to do. Or you see a TV commercial that says, Hey, get drunk all that you want, but just make sure somebody drives you home. And who's that sponsored by? Budweiser, Miller, and all the rest of them because they know how to play up to the public too. The last thing you need is the public to go, hey, you know what? This drinking's nonsense. No. Hey, we're talking, we're advocating responsible drunkenness. <laughs> but that's the message. I mean, it's crazy. And you look at it and you go, man, you know what? When are we going to get to the point of saying, hey, you know what? That's not right. But see, some of us know that it's not right, but we don't even know that it's not right because we don't know what God has to say about it anyway. So we wouldn't know where in the Bible it talks about it to go to look at. So we just know we feel funny. That doesn't seem like it's right. But the longer that you're around it and the longer that you hear it and the less that you check into it, the more you're going to believe it. If you don't know what you, that you stand for, you'll fall for anything. You'll believe anything. And I see it all the time. And I'm just as guilty. So what God's saying is we need to get back to His standard and say, is this right? part of testing the spirit is this right according to what god's standard is is it right or is it wrong and to be able to go to it and say hey that's nuts here's a couple good ones Dow one nine hundred blah 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 e davis scott will tell you about all your past lives that's nuts <laughs> but where does it say it hey Open your Bible and find all the different places that say there's no such thing as reincarnation. There's no such thing as a second chance. It's appointed for God, for man to die once and then comes judgment. Hebrews, and, and you go on and on. He said, that's crazy. That's not right. And that's not bad enough. Then here's another 800 number. You can get information on fortune telling. Now you can know the future. This guy tells you your past. He probably changed his name. And then he tells you your future too. <laughs> Or here's a good one. This one's just out this week. on the new. I think it's on the Times bestseller list, How to Commit Suicide. <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's number one on the, new, on the Times bestseller list. It's like, what is that? That's nuts. This is crazy. We live in a crazy world. And that's why we have to know what we believe in order to discern what is true and what is false. And that's the problem. And that's what this passage commands us. It commands us to do it. Listen to me. This passage commands us to 
not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see whether they're of God or of the, of the world or wherever they're from. We need to do that, and we need to do it more often than we do. So we go through it. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11. I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You follow this? How do you test the Spirit? You test the Spirit by refusing to believe human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. I don't care who is presenting it, you and I have a responsibility to test it against the objective standard of the Word of God. One of the biggest problems that we have are there are a lot of charismatic people, and I mean that from the standpoint of being dynamic speakers, attractive people, who are speaking and telling people all kind of stuff, and people get sucked into it because they're dynamic, they got a great voice, they have a great presence, whatever it is, and they believe everything that they say. Now, let me ask you a dumb question. The Apostle Paul was not above such scrutiny. Do you see what's being said here? It says that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. They couldn't wait to hear what God had to say, but they examined the Scriptures every day to see whether what Paul was saying was true or not. They, they, they tested the Spirit. They, they tested what he said to see whether it was genuinely from God or from something that Paul ate that particular day. One of my biggest concerns, and you know what, and let me just lay this out because this is, this is something we need to hear. I don't care who it is that you're listening to. I don't care what pastor is speaking. I don't care what teacher that you're listening to. I don't care. You got all these people on channel 40 that one guy says one thing, another guy says the exact opposite. It all sounds so good. It's all so stupid. And we got people who listen to it all the time. We've got pastors that are on the radio. We've got teachers that are on the radio. We've got dynamic speakers. You know, I don't, hey, whether it's Pastor Hawking, whether it's MacArthur, whether it's Swindoll, whether it's Chuck Smith, whether it's Charles Stanley, I don't care who it is, and they'll agree with me 100% on this. I don't care who it is, and you got a lot of unknown people like me who stand before groups of people and teach the Bible every week. I don't care who it is. You and I have a responsibility to check everything they say to make sure that what they're saying comes from the Word of God. That's the bottom line. That's the truth of what God's trying to say. If the Apostle Paul wasn't above such scrutiny, then how in the world are pastors and teachers in our generation getting away with having no one check what they're saying? And I'll tell you in very simple English, we're lazy. I'd rather just believe what someone says is right than spend the time to open my Bible and to study it and look into it to see whether what they're saying is true or false. Right? We're lazy. And there's no excuse for it according to God. And our laziness will lead to deception and our deception is going to lead to big problems in our spiritual life and in our walk with God. It says that some fell away from the faith. Not 
fell away from the point they were no longer children of God. The warning that John gives is very simple. Hey, guess what? There are a lot of Christians who are caught up in a lot of things and are far from the fundamental truth of a biblical Christian faith because they just believed carte blanche everything that they heard and they were led down a, down a street that's leading to nothing but problems in their life. Are they still God's kids? Sure, because it's not whether you understand what you believe and it's not all the things that we do and don't do. It's whether you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that makes you a child of God and all the rest of it is just wisdom that God says, don't believe every stupid thing that you hear because you're going to be in for a lot of trouble. And look what he says. And you know the reason for it? 1 John chapter 4, if you're there, the reason is very simple. It's because there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. You follow what he's saying? There are a lot of bogus people out there and Jesus knew it and he talked about it. And in Matthew 7, if you want to read it, and we'll kind of kind of wrap this all up um, for this particular session, but in Matthew chapter 7, this is what he said. This didn't catch Jesus off guard. He warned about it. He told us that it was going to happen. He said, look, there are going to be many false teachers. Many. Not one, not two, not a handful, but a lot of them. problem is, how do you know who is and who isn't? How do you know who's leading you right direction and leading you straight? Matthew chapter 7. And it's interesting that he, he, he tags it along with this particular verse in verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right to man, but in its end is destruction. God warns that over and over and over again. We live in a culture that thinks that every road somehow or another leads to heaven. Jesus specifically taught against that broad-minded philosophy. He said the road to destruction is broad and wide. He said, but but he also goes on and says, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Then he also starts to talk about false teachers in the same context. He says, you know, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And let me just tell you exactly what the will of God is. Jesus was asked one time, what is the work that we must do to please God? What is the work we must do to get into heaven? And you know what Jesus said? There's only one work that you must do, and that is that you believe upon him in whom he has sent. That you believe in me. That's the only thing that will ever make you right with God. And so there's something that's very common to all false teaching, and that is that anyone who teaches anything other than salvation through a relationship by faith in Christ is leading people to destruction. It is wrong. And that's what Jesus said. That's why I said not many, and hey, not everyone says, Lord, Lord, we the kingdom of God. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And we cast demons out in your name, and we performed miracles in your name, and we did all these wonderful things in your name. And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers and prophets among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There is one thing that is common among every false teacher that's out in the world today, and that is that they preach another Jesus, that they talk a a different gospel, that they speak that there are different ways to get to heaven, that there are ways that please God, and if you do this, 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 and this, or if you follow our our list of the top ten, and if you give us so much money, and if you do so many things, and if you go to church you know, so many times, and if you're baptized, and if you're all these things, if you do these things, they'll make you right with God. And the Bible specifically warns there's nothing else that can be done any greater than what Jesus did on the cross. And if you stop and think about it, it makes so much sense. If Jesus is God in human flesh, and if he did die for our sins according to what the Bible teaches, and he proved that he was who he was by his resurrection, then what in the world can I do, and how many times could I go to church that would ever top the work that Jesus did on the cross? I can't go to church enough. I can't get clean enough in baptism. I can't give enough money away. I can't do enough good things. I mean, to me, it's an insult to what Jesus did to think that I would ever be able to do anything that was greater than that. But we got teachers all over the continent and all over the globe who tell people that if you do this, 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 and this, then that'll make you right with God. And it's, uh, the bottom line is very simple. It's destructive, it's damaging, and it's damning for people who believe that because it leads them in a direction that's further and further away from heaven and closer and closer to hell. That's the truth of what's going on. So how do you test the Spirit? Number one, you test it by refusing to accept human authority as the basis for determining spiritual truth. Don't believe anybody. Always check everything against the Word of God. We don't get anything else out of today. That's pretty simple. And it's our responsibility to do it. It's not my responsibility to check for you. It's not your responsibility to check for him. Every one of us have an individual accountability before God to test the things that we're told against the word of God. So we better get off our butts and we better get serious to make sure that we're not deceived and led down a wrong path. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity today just to take a look at a very serious problem and a very practical matter. And we hear so many voices in our world and there's so much confusion and everything seems right and everything is relative and there are no more truths, there is no more standard, everything's whatever we think that it is. And how foolish that is because all throughout creation we see the evidence that some things are just what they are and nothing less and nothing more. Father, we just thank you that your word, you have taken so much time to painstakingly get it to us. We think about the 1,500 years that you took to compile it, the 40 different people that you used to write it, just the amazing love that you've shown to us and that you want us to know who you are, you want us to know what your plan is for our lives, and you want us to know the truth. We just thank you that Jesus said that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. And it's amazing to me how the truth eliminates confusion in our life. The truth brings clarity. The truth brings purpose. The truth brings meaning. And on top of it all, we realize what Jesus said when he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man could come unto the Father but through him. It's a very narrow program, but yet it's an open invitation to whosoever would believe. And we just thank you that you loved us enough to send your Son. That whosoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. And we just thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.